we know that you will love this podcast. So shut your mouth and listen to Canadian Bushcraft. Good morning, Dragonfly Nation! It is Caleb Musgrave with the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast, and I am joined yet again by the indomitable Rye, the adventure guy, Moffat. Hello, hello. We are having a good time here. We've been having a good chat about axes, and we want, we figured, you know what, let's bring you in on it. Let's talk about this amazing esoteric tool that has predated the knife, predates almost any other technology in the world, and to this day is kind of sexy. The axe is a sexy tool. It's a beautiful tool. It is a different thing. It's curvy. It's curvy. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. curvy. <laughs> sometimes very straight and, yeah. and flat. But it depends on your preferences. Just like anything else in life, it comes down to your preferences, yeah. which is, again, sexy. So let's do a real quick recap on the history of the axe. When I say that it predates the knife, I'm not joking. The One of the earliest hand tools used by hominids, not just humans, but hominids, proto-humans, pre-human primates, is the hand axe, the Aldawan chopper from the Olduvai Gorge. It is a stone with a sharpened edge that was used to break open bone and chop at roots and was used to suck out the marrow from the bones of animal kills from lions and hyenas in Africa. And it was also used to chop at wood. And eventually we see the defin- the, this refined tool come out of it known as a Neanderthal's hand axe, which again is a long, thin blade and was used by the hand instead of being put onto a handle. And eventually that axe head was put onto a handle, giving it even more leverage, combining two different amazing simple machines, the wedge being the blade and the lever being the handle meaning that we now have a high-impact tool that could chop deep and shred through material very quickly. And through evolution, we see it go from a stone axe that's very crude to, or what some people would look at as crude, but personally I think are very refined and elegant, all the way to uh, specially, specially held or handled or hung heads made, a, made in a special way where the head of it actually has no groove or hole in it, but it fits in a socket in a wooden handle called a kelt or selt which became revolutionary wherever it was figured out around the world. And from there we get into copper axes like Otzi's axe from the Alps, all the way in the Copper Age of Europe, all the way to bronze socketed axes that are found in the Celtic Isles. And finally we come to the modern axe, or at least the, the near ancestor of the modern axe, the Iron Age, where axes start having handles set into them through a hole called an eye. And eventually we, def- we refine it, not necessarily by the shape of the axe, but by the metal of the axe, forming steel, which is an iron alloy. And we come finally to the modern axe, which has a long legacy, which has helped define almost all of humanity. The axe has cut down almost every species of tree in the world to make almost every kind of architecture we can imagine. Carpenters to this day still use specialized axes to cut shingles for traditional shingle roofs of cedar. They're used for hewing boards and finishing boards in the traditional sense of cabin building and such that are used by U.S. Forest Service. And they're also used still by many people to heat their homes. So this is a very special tool that we here at Canadian Bushcraft love to celebrate whenever possible. We figure, you know what? Damn it, episode four of the Canadian Bushcraft podcast deserves to be a celebration of the great tool, the axe. Am I right, Ryan? I have to agree with you. It's a beautiful thing. When everybody's in agreement, that's a beautiful thing, don't you think? So, there's a lot of different kinds of tools out there that can be put in the category of axe. Um, some people claim that every kind of axe is simply just another axe. And some people even claim that an axe is just a knife with a long handle, which is ludicrous, and we laugh at those people. But, the actual definition of an axe, if you look at a hatchet, well, what is a hatchet? It's basically based off the French word, uh, from a French word, and it basically means an axe. When we look at a tomahawk, what is a tomahawk? Well, it's a Powhatan word of the indigenous people of the eastern woodlands, and it basically means an axe. What is an axe? It's just a wedge with a handle or a wedge with a lever. It all comes down to scale. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The correct uses and the right amount of leverage that you need for the certain job. Perfect. Perfect definition there. So there are a lot of kinds of axes out there, from carving axes used by Swedish blacksmiths and Swedish wood carvers, all the way to the tomahawk that you are famously seen in things like Last of the Mohicans and the Dance with Wolves film by Kevin Costner. 
and in between we have the axes that are most commonly used. Uh, and those kind of range within three uh, categories that I that the and the definitions are very vague. They're very open for interpretation and speculation. That's kind of how we like life. We want you to be able to interpret these tools how you want to interpret them, so you can find the right one for you. Now, for me, I categorize three basic forms. There is the uh, hatchet, the felling axe, and in between the limbing or bush axe, or some people refer to as a boy's axe. Now, Ryan, you've got a few hatchets with you here at the at the house. What kind of hatchets did you bring along? The ones that I brought for me, just because I'm mostly doing more carving than anything right now, not doing a lot of felling. We're using some splitting, but I'm just kind of boring those ones as needed. Right. Even though I do have my Fiskars splitting mall in the back of the car. I think that's the X37. Wait, 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 wait. Off. Hold on, hold on. You've been tell you're telling me that you were using my tool all yesterday and that you had yours which was waiting? Mine's only a five pound. <laughs> yours is a ten pound. I need a okay. little more. Okay, fair, fair. Like fair. I said, size for the right job. Fair <laughs> enough, fair <laughs> enough. I'm not okay. sp I was splitting those big, like, oh. 24 inch rounds yesterday. So. Folks, I'm telling you right now, we were cut, we cut a, down a willow tree that got into somebody's yard, a big old weeping willow. And I was running saw. My our buddy Radic was running saw, and in between was uh, was Ryan just going to town. This guy is a beast with a splitting mall. You would not believe how amazing he was using that axe, that splitting mall, which is another category of axe. I'm feeling it today. <laughs> For sure. I'm feeling my back from that chainsaw yeah. all day. That was exhausting, but and we're going to be right back at it tomorrow. Oh yeah. But anyways, uh, he was using that splitting maul like a champ. And the beauty of a splitting maul is it's like a heavy-duty wedge on a handle. It's the... It's the, the sledgehammer mixed with a, an axe. An axe. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a heavy-hitting tool that is not really a refined tool. It's not really good for, you know, felling trees or bucking logs. I only want to swing it from 12 to 6. I don't want to be swinging that unless, yeah. like we were talking before, with those Australian lumberjacks. Yeah, that are swinging 10-pound yeah. to 15-pound heads. Yeah, that's going to start hurting the hips. I don't want to go east to west with that sort of thing. <laughs> Keep it as, I like that, uh, 12 to 6. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so a splitting mall is another type of axe in another category. We're not going to really get into too much today, but now you know there's another tool out there called a mall. M-A-U-L, a mall. And what it does is it mauls wood. It shatters and destroys things. It's it's more of a destructive tool than a refined tool. So wedge on a handle. Wedge on a handle, <laughs> just all it is. So... You were saying you got a few axes with you. You said you have a couple of hatchets. What else? So what did, what did you bring with you? Well, I didn't bring my my normal Fiskars hollow handle one like you'd see at Canadian Tire or anything like that. I brought like the little mini 7-inch version. Right, right. Which they have kind of labeled under Gerber since they have their little cooperation right, going with right. that. Right. So let's talk about that for a second. Gerber yeah. axes, many of the Gerber, not all the Gerber axes, but many of the Gerber axes are actually not made in-house by Gerber, but by Fiskars, which is over in Finland, I believe. Yeah, Fiskars is Finnish. Wow. So the, we have a company over in Finland with an agreement made with a company in Portland, Oregon, uh, who make the axes and then brand them under another company, which is actually quite common. We'll probably get to that at some point in the talk tonight. And the only difference is the color. Instead mm -hmm. of the orange and black profile, it has a green, lime green and yeah. black. It's kind but of sexy. I kind of like the look of it's it. It's good because it's like a small little 7-inch hatchet, but it still has a little hefty head. It's got a good, aggressive mm -hmm. wedge Flare on it. So you can. I've taken down ten inch trees with that thing, no problem. No, no kidding. Well, you just go hard on it. <laughs> it's like it's not preferred. <laughs> and that's and that's kind of the definition of a hatchet. So for let's let's go into what I define as a hatchet. For me, and this is how I keep it. Try to eat, keep it easy for everybody. Instead of giving you a lot of measurements on like seventeen inch versus a fourteen inch, let's just go by this. Well, even recently, I've been just using it for like spoon carving and yeah, carving yeah. cooks because it's, it's nice, a great little short. Light you're not having to worry about overswinging too much. You've got that control because you're choked up. As and the edge using. is pretty thin. Yeah, the edge is pretty thin on that, which makes it nice for slicing. And it's easy to put a new edge on it if needed. Oh, too. Yeah. you're not really risking. Not too much. Curling it over too often. No. So. so for me, a hatchet is something from fingertip to elbow length or shorter. So from the tip of my elbow to the tip of my finger, if it's under that length, I'll call that a hatchet. So that means if you're five foot two, if it's between your fingertip and your elbow length, you have a hatchet. If you're six foot five and you have an axe or a hatchet that's between fingertip length to elbow tip length, you have a hatchet. Now that means someone that's you know, far, uh, five foot two, 
holding that hatchet from a six foot five guy might have a different opinion on what that axe might be. Yeah, small forest axe might be the Shaquille O'Neal <laughs> hatchet. <sort of> thing. <laughs> yeah, if you're Shaquille O'Neal or another, you know, tall, robust few, uh, human Paul being, Bunyan, Paul sorry. Bunyan looking person, Andre the Giant. You probably might look at a small forest axe by Grasshers and call that like a like a bowler's hatchet, like a tiny little carving hatchet. But uh, at the other end of the spectrum, we have <clears throat> that that definition of body size of like your fingertip to elbow length. Remember that for an easy way. To, it doesn't matter about the weight of the head. Don't get too deep into that. Focus more on the length of the handle because that's going to help you remember what you're looking for. A hatchet is usually used with one hand. Uh, or some people refer to it as a hand axe, which I find really amusing because all axes are used in your hand. And you normally want to be just felling nothing more than six inches at most, yeah. I feel. Just something not too aggressive. If you're trying to hack away too hard, like I was saying, 10-inch tree. <laughs> you can do it. Yeah, it's you can hurt. do it. It's just going to take a little bit. And it's, it's going to hurt. You're going to feel it in the morning. Yeah. So for let's talk about what are good uses for a hatchet. We have things like... What are you saying? Felling stuff under six inches. Yeah, and if you're, like, just camping, you're just, like, splitting firewood, making kindling, processing that wood into smaller pieces. Use your big axe for the rail felling projects, but Mm -hmm. a nice hatchet's a nice little all-around, anything you need, especially if you're just car camping. You're going out to any Ontario park, any Canadian park, and just getting that pre-bought bag of split firewood and then just you need to that's get where the hatchet reigns supreme yeah. shave it up and get into some smaller kindling and definitely stuff. this past winter we were doing a winter survival course for the pine project ryan and i and we ended up having a council tool i believe it was a hudson bay pattern probably about a 16 inch handle hatchet and we used that day in and day out to make sure that there was kindling ready for the wood stove in our hot tent and that was a great tool to have for that um if I was to use it in a bush scenario, like I'm living off the land, I'll probably I'm probably going to use it for probably just branching uh, poles, taking off, uh, limbing the poles off of like spruce and fir to make my bow beds and my roofing. Well, look, it's difficult for splitting and stuff like that because then you're bringing your hand to balance in, and mm-hmm. that's a big danger problem. There. Oh yeah, trying to get your hand close, and some people you see them, they hold it, they remove their hand, then while they're swinging, and then yeah. it's just a disaster that's, waiting to happen. That goes into the safety lecture of the night. Don't. Whenever you have a wedge on a lever, you have a high-impact tool that can crush bone, not just cut it. So that's sometimes where, like, batoning and techniques like that are your best Or use a cheater stick. Where you can just lay it on top Mm -hmm. and ready to go, and even a cheater stick just to hold it itself. Yeah, so balancing your stick straight up in the air, your piece of kindling, and then putting another stick to kind of hold it in place instead of using your fingers. Some people call it a cheater stick or a chicken stick. I don't call anything chicken or cheating if it's safety. I I like it if it's giving me a better safety. Other ways is holding the wood and then placing the edge against it and then bringing them up together and dropping it onto a log. There's a whole lot of ways to be able to use a a hatchet for splitting up kindling. Uh, Beyond that, I would say maybe butchery for like when I do trap line and I'm skinning a beaver, I have to remove the feet before anything else. I could sit there sawing away with a little bone saw or I could be sitting there snipping away at tendons and trying to disarticulate every foot with a knife. Nothing wrong with those. But honestly, at the end of the day, if I when I trap, I'm trapping in bulk. I'm getting four or five beaver in a single day. I got to get those feet off now. So I use a hatchet, just snip, 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 take them right off immediately. When I'm when I'm processing geese, same thing. Take the wings off, take the feet off with a hatchet. Um, and the final thing you were talking about it already, carving. Carving, yeah. Hatchets are phenomenal at carving. I'm actually still uh, in awe of our friend Radix's carving hatchet that he had when we were working on some wooden cups last week. Yeah phenomenal tool and you had uh you have a fisk you have a husqvarna you have a husqvarna oh well that's the carpenter axe yeah yeah 19 inch handle 19 inch handle which is longer on the side of hatchet things but at the same time it's still still good for one hand and then they have the smaller ones so like you said they're used to split cedar shingles yep yep. and all that sort of thing so just so in the world of hatchets the benefit of them is they're portable they can be used one-handed they're pretty good at light detail work uh where they don't really fit is when I'm trying to do things, let's say heavy duty. Uh, you wouldn't want to use a hatchet to build a cabin. Yeah. Maybe to do the finishing snips on some stuff here and there, but you're not going to branches use it. off the logs. Trimming like branches, sure, sure. Um, you don't. I've got a friend who will name remain nameless. Who, when we were younger, he was helping us cut saplings, uh, maple saplings for a project, and. 
the hatchet was so light that he had. It was so light that it actually became a hazard because it actually deflected off of the sapling, came back and filleted his cheek open a bit. He has a nice big little crescent moon scar on his face now that he tries with a lot of failure to use to impress ladies at the bar. He's like, oh yeah, I was saving an orphan at a mountain lion attack. And no, no, he he snipped his face with a hatchet because it was so light it bounced and glanced right back into his face. The other thing is if you miss your intended target if you're using a chopping block, there's a higher likelihood with a hatchet that you're going to split your shin or your kneecap. So they have detriments. They have their limitations like any other tool. That's where the technique comes down to. Like 100%. Chopping from your knees mm-hmm. as they're laying the piece of wood. Lower to the ground. Horizontal on the ground too. Yep. And doing even the tool where you lay the edge of the blade on top of it hold the log in your other hand and pretty much just swing the log with the hatchet on top of yep. it bringing it down splitting it down trying to immobilize as much risk as yeah. possible um there's a there's a great instagram page called spoon carving with tom and in there he was talking about how to carve well with a hatchet and he mentions you don't want to move your wrist you don't want to move your shoulder it's all elbow and if you remember to keep your wrist stiff and your shoulder stiff your axe can't really deviate from where you're working. So that's a good way to think about how to use a hatchet. It's mostly with elbow, not as much wrist movement, as not as much shoulder movement. So hatchets, I think we kind of beat that horse, that dead horse pretty good with a hatchet. They're great tools to have, just know what their limitations are and how to be safe with them. And they most of the time still have the same other features, but it all usually comes on the scale and which yeah. processes you're use, looking to use them for. Exactly. And there's you could put tomahawks in that category as well. Tomahawks are some form of a hatchet, though. Uh, there was a gentleman way back in the hoodlum forum days uh, from Ron Hood's uh, website, survival.com, with the hoodlums forum where he would describe the, the tomahawk more as a pecking tool and a hatchet as a chopping tool. Yeah. So a, a tomahawk is not usually a great tool for a lot of bushcraft. But for portability's sake, it can be a pretty decent tool, especially in comparison to just a simple knife. Yeah, and I found that tomahawk described as, like you were saying before, you didn't like the term, but just a knife on the end of a stick sort of thing. Pretty much, Where yeah. they have a removable head. You can take that off if needed. And use it just as a hand tool where you're using it without the leverage. Oh, definitely. Slicing, doing a little cutting with it. And you can have a hammer pole on it. You can have a spike pole. Uh, Spike poles are mostly looked at as a weapon aspect of the tomahawk because the tomahawk was both a uh, bush tool as as well as a defensive tool at the times of the pioneers, the settlers. Uh, Revolutionary War era, etc. You see that tomahawk come up again and again in military units. And the idea of the spike was able to be, you know, well, I don't think I have to explain too much what a spike can be used for in combat. But outside of combat, a spike can be quite useful for digging into roots, grubbing around. It can be used as well for piercing into certain hard subjects like, uh, oh, certain things like nuts or if you're trying to break apart a log to get into the rotted wood to get punk wood to make into charcoal for fire lighting later. Things like that. A, a spike on the end of a tomahawk can be quite useful. Hammer pull or a hammer head on the other side of the axe. Or tomahawk can be also very useful for cracking nuts, like a walnut or a hickory driving nut. Driving tent pegs. Driving tent pegs, pounding wedges into a log, what have you. A yeah. lot of things. Um, so the hatchet, I think we covered pretty good here. Yeah. Let's go to the other end of the spectrum. Let's talk about those big axes. The big ones that everybody looks at and thinks, that's a Paul, that's a Paul Bunyan tool right there. <laughs> the felling axe is what most people call a felling axe. And the, ner- the name comes from the fact that that axe is the one that's used for felling trees, knocking down big timber to make it into smaller timber. <clears throat> and the felling axe, it's used for dropping the tree, bucking that log into sections, and splitting that wood for firewood or for other tasks. Let's say we're trying to make a beam for building a house or a cabin. I can get on top of that log and start to do something called juggling, which is a method of V-notching the whole side of the log that then allows me to come back with a broad axe, especially tool, to then hew that side nice and flat and smooth so I can start making nice dimensional lumber. So a felling axe is a very useful two-handed tool, usually with a head that weighs more than three pounds, just to give it a little bit more uh, uh, power with the velocity and causing momentum. Uh, If you understand basic physics, the heavier the head with the higher speed, the deeper it can penetrate into its target. So, on that note, how are we going to describe it with just body measurements? If you're looking for a good felling axe for you, you're looking for an axe that's got a handle so long that you shouldn't be able to easily straddle it if you tried. So, about groin height or... 
uh, 36 inches for certain people, 40 inches for other people, 31 inches for other people. It, again, go by that. For me, I go by the groin measurement. Once you fits. start getting to the 30-inch range, that's when you start getting to malls and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So. I've seen real long felling, act, especially actually in places like Borneo, oddly enough. I see yeah. uh, almost like a four-foot long handle with a tiny little head, and it was like bouncing... The way that the wood was made and treated, it was so flexible, even after like two or three years seasoning and drying, they could bend it almost into a horseshoe shape. And then they had this tiny little, almost like a tomahawk-sized head, and they were just felling sago palm and all those other trees that they needed in their area. And to them, that's a felling axe. Yeah. In our area, I'd say 30, 31, maybe 32 inches, the most common. Um but again, go by that groin measurement. If you put the axe head on the ground and stood the handle up vertical, can you sit on it? If you can't sit on it or not easily, that's a felling axe. Uh, and again, their use is in the big tasks. So if I'm thinking in the world of bush life, if I'm going to be building a base camp or I'm going to be staying at a hunt camp or a cabin in the woods, I'm going to want to, or building my cabin, I'm going to want a felling axe in my kit. It's a very large, very heavy tool. It's not easy to use one-handed for carving by any means. You can do it just like with a hatchet. You can fell a 10-inch diameter tree, but it's not as easy as if you were using a proper-sized axe for that. Same way with the felling axe. Felling axes are heavy. They're cumbersome. They're not easy to carry with you in the bush if you're going on, let's say, a canoe trip. You probably don't really need a felling axe. But at a base camp scenario, if we're working in a sugar bush or if I'm living out of a trapper shack, a felling axe is pretty useful. In fact, I have a beautiful... Uh, I mentioned it in one of our earlier podcasts. I talked about my my Michigan pattern, Flint Edge by Kelly Works. That axe cut miles of trail when I was living in Wyoming. We had to clear trail in the Black Hills to be able to get our vehicles to the bush. And that axe did miles of work. And when we had to bust open logs to get to fatwood so that we could actually light a fire that day, nothing was better than a felling axe for that. But do I want to use that for carving? No. Do I want to use that for butchering? I'm going to slaughter whatever I'm trying to butcher with that axe. I'd rather try to kill an animal with the axe than try to skin it or gut it with the axe. Mm -hmm. Felling axes are not meant for detail work. They're meant for precision, high-impact tasks. They're like the little brother to a maul with a little bit more use. They're a muscle tool, yeah. Now, that leaves us with a a question. What, What is the right axe for the bush world, for bushcraft, for camping, for all that? Is a hatchet really a safe tool that can do all the tasks? Let's say if I'm trying to... Stay in going by the Morse Kohansky definition. I have waist deep snow, I'm in the boreal forest, and I have to stay the night out with no sleeping bag or tent. I want an axe that's going to be able to provide me heat and shelter. So, we need a tool that can do that, and it's kind of like the Goldilocks of axes. And that's where we fall into the category some people like to call the bush axe. Now, Ryan's got a few bush axes. I've got a few bush axes. I think every person that's got a shed in their life in the world has bush axes. They might just not know it's called a bush axe. That's because in a lot of places it's referred to as a boy's axe. Other places in the western states it's referred to as a limbing axe. And the idea behind both of those names is way back in the old days, Pa would go out with the felling axe and drop the tree, and then the boy would go out and limb the tree. (laughs) And that's basically the definition. It's a smaller axe, it's lighter, It's not necessarily a one-handed axe, but you can kind of use it with one-handed activities if you have to, but you can still kind of fell bigger trees, right? I think that's a good definition. It can do most hatchet jobs reasonably okay. It can do most felling and splitting activity reasonably okay. It's the good middle ground. It's something that you could use for bigger tasks as well as choke up on it once in a while and use it for some of those finesse pieces. And my... My go-to, I've got two go-tos that are here. Both have almost the exact same handle length. Both have practically the same weight and head, but uh, they're they're my preferences. Uh, Ryan's got a couple here as well, uh, and he's got a few at home as well. The the two that I carry, one's a Husqvarna. That's a a modified Husqvarna carpenter's axe. I've shown it on a couple of our Facebook Live videos and a couple of our Instagram Live videos. And I'm sure a few uh, those of you who have actually hung out with me have seen this axe. It's a nice broad head, good for hewing, good for splitting, good for <clears throat> a lot of general work. And it's got about a 24-inch handle, maybe a 25-inch handle. And about a two and a three-quarter pound head, two and a half pound head. 
And Ryan has the exact same one, but he's got the store-bought handle, the, the handle that came with the, the axe. He hasn't uh, done any modification to it. Mine has been heavily modified. The carpenter's one? Yep, the carpenter's axe, the Husqvarna carpenter's I've only axe. done some light sanding on it. Yeah, well, you just it picked it up this past week, bit. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just got it recently, so I've I'm had... going to be doing a lot more work on it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I bet. Ryan, uh, Ryan and Raddick both have picked up a carpenter's axe by Husqvarna recently, and the reason we've all been picking them up is they're inexpensive. Like comparatively to a Holtzbrock or a Gransfer, eighty dollars. But at the same time, yeah, when you're looking for a Gransfer for the similar like use Range. and everything like that, you're gonna be looking at like two hundred dollars at least. Yeah, at least. So it's for the compromise of price. The only the only downside to it is there's a little bit more fit and finish work you got to do. Like Ryan said, he has to sand the handle. We got to do a little bit of sharpening and regrinding on the edge because they left it with very rough grinds. Yeah, not a big deal. Mm-hmm. For eighty bucks, not a big deal. I've heard a lot of people blow their noses at the husky axes. Why? The husk varnas are great choices to go with if you don't want to break the bank to get a good axe. And again, I've modified mine. I put a home hardware thirteen dollar handle on it, and I've loved it ever since. I reground the profile so it's more. Uh, not necessarily a chisel grind, but it's a little bit more refined for right hand carving if I wanted to. So I use it a lot for birch bark canoe builds, for uh, toboggan building, for, I was using, we were using it almost exclusively when we were making some cooking paddles a few months back, some cherry wood cooking and sugaring paddles. And when we were working in the sugar bush, it was used quite a bit. Well, the only complaint I've seen from it, from just reading reviews mm -hmm. and seeing what other people have to say about it. But you always kind of worry about if they're using it in the correct form. They mm -hmm. look for that all-around camp axe, but yep. then they get a carpenter's axe, which has a really thin blade right thin there. Blade. So you can get really nice and close to the wood to hew it up nice and flat. Yep. But then it just some a lot of people find it occasionally snaps on the blade, and then you just have a snap blade edge all the way off. But that's when you're starting to try to split logs with it, when yeah. you're trying to fell a tree with it rather doing that finesse edge work to get a nice flat edge or just carve with it. Totally. And I've modified mine because I took that into consideration. I wanted a bit of a thicker, well, no, not trying to stumble over my words here, but I made the bit a little bit thicker. Uh, so it's a little bit more robust because I've used it, I've used it almost like a lever prying tool to split open cedar and I've not had any problems with that. I know yeah. some people have because they were probably splitting into elm or oak or other hardwoods and then trying to twist with it or and pry with it. often overlooked with, like, which yeah. material you're actually trying to use it on. Totally, you're Trying totally. to use it on cedar versus a hard maple oh. or something like that. So. I wouldn't want to go to a hard maple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of hard maple for our uh, for our camp this winter, and Ryan actually powered through a bunch of it two or three, uh, three weeks back, and I think you ended up doing the same thing as me and resorting to the splitting mall on some of that hard maple. Oh, yeah, that's it's, what I was using for all of it. We were oh. doing... Going between the hemlock and the hard oh, maple, yeah, no. you get a nice soft, just blowing apart the hemlock, and yeah. then you get to the maple, and you're putting <clears throat> that extra little oomph into it. <laughs> and then my other go-to bush axe is a Wetterlings, or Vetterlings, or however it's traditionally pronounced to any of our yeah, Swedish Vetterlings. listeners. Vetterlings? Yeah. Okay. I don't want to butcher anyone else's language, because my language gets butchered all the time, <laughs> including by me. But uh, Vetterlings, or Wetterlings, for those who have more of an Anglo ear, like myself... Um, sadly, they're no longer existent. They were bought out about five or six years back by Gransfors Brook, uh, another Swedish axe company who makes great, beautiful axes, not, not knocking them at all, but they bought them out, kept the name for a couple years, and then phased them out eventually. And they were one of Gransfors biggest comp competitions or competitors. Uh, Wetterlings, or again, Vetterlings, was a phenomenal axe company. And I actually, it was amusing because they had a very similar pattern to what's more famously known as the Gransfors Brooks Scandinavian Forest Axe. And the Wetterlings version or Vetterlings version was the Swedish Forest Axe. They just changed one of the name parts. So at first when I had to go pick up a new axe up in the Buckhorn Canoe Company, nice little nod to a good buddy of ours up in Buckhorn, Ontario, the Buckhorn Canoe Company. He's one of the few places that sells really nice refined tools in our region. And he also does beautiful work on canvas canoes and cedar strip canvas canoes. But anyways, uh, I went up to his shop and I saw that all he had was Vetterlings, no Gransfors. Okay, that's what I was used to was the Gransfors axes. And I went and looked at their Swedish forest axe and realized, hold on, this thing's like a quarter pound heavier. And the, the bit is like twice as thick. And I realized, 
this is actually a little bit more up my alley. I, I always found the Grand Spheres bits a little too thin for my liking. They're great for carving and softwood, don't get me wrong. If you're trying to cut down a pine or a spruce or a fir, by all means, Grand Spheres will do the job. But I'm in a mixed hardwood forest. Sometimes I'm cutting cedar, sometimes I'm cutting maple, sometimes I'm cutting spruce, sometimes I'm cutting birch. That thinner bit is not always up my alley. And I picked it up about a week and a half before I left for Wyoming. And this is before I got my my big old, my my beloved Flint Edge by Mich- uh, by Kelly Works, the Michigan pattern, double bit. Uh, and when I first got to Wyoming, we had to go through 25 miles of trail that had not been cleared of trees yet. And our, our chainsaw broke on day one. And I pulled out the only axe I had brought with me, which was that little Wetterlings, that Wetterlings axe with a 25-inch handle, 24-inch handle. And I literally cleared 25 miles of trail with that axe. And it was wedging out sections of wood fast. It was splitting out and breaking out ponderosa pines, which are very pitchy trees, never getting stuck in them. It was splitting through birch real fast and cutting and severing that fiber really fast. All the while, my boss pulls out his Gransfer's Scandinavian forest axe, which is the basic Gransfer's equivalent, and he couldn't keep up. And I was like, well, maybe it's because I have better axe experience than he does because I'm a Canadian. He's not. He's a, he's a Wyoming boy. He mostly lives in Utah. So we switched axes. And now he was out cutting me. <laughs> so I, I came to the conclusion very early on, I really dug that axe head. I really dug how that profile was compared to the Gransfer's. And then sadly, Wetterling stopped existing. So I'm now a Husqvarna guy because they're nice and chunky. I like that chunky bit. For some reason, it just works better for me. Well, even the Gransfer's I have is the small forest yeah, axe. Yeah. So that's <clears throat> almost... <clears throat> sorry. But right in between... The camper's axe size and a hatchet. It's only got a 17 inch handle. Quite sure. At the short. same time, it can still handle like an axe. You can still oh, fell definitely. some pretty decent ones with that. And it's still light enough. It, I think it only has a two pound head at most. I think so, yeah. I think the, I believe, forgive me if I'm wrong, I believe the Scandinavian, the full sized forest axe is two and a quarter. And yeah. I think your small forest axe is two pounds flat. Yeah, I'd have to look it up again. Yeah. But still, it's that right size where you can carry it on a pack without noticing or in a pack. extra weight. On a pack, in a pack, on your hip if you yeah. have like a little holster for holster it or something, for it or something yeah. like that. So it's a really great rated one that a lot of people love because versatility. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to be splitting any firewood really with it. You could do a little bit of kindling, especially and all that, with the twist method. If you're doing the split with a twist, yeah. where you flick your wrist to the left or right, exactly. But you it's, do it. it's the best middle ground between a ha- like you don't want to be too small but also you don't need something that's too long and cumbersome totally totally there's a a phenomenal kind of scripted survival documentary from the national film board from the 1950s where they had uh i believe his name was angus baptiste who was an algonquin knowledge holder who went out with this film crew and showed them how to survive and he carried about a i'd say a two and a half maybe three pound head on a just a little bit longer than a boy's axe, but it's much shorter than what I would consider a felling axe head or handle. And he was doing everything from making friction fire kits and splitting and peeling birch bark to make his lodge for a shelter, making deadfall traps to catch a bear that was coming into their camp and stealing their sturgeon meat, everything. It's a good example of like how an axe can be used. Not necessarily a legitimate, real survival scenario they were in. It was pretty well staged. But, because... If you had a, literally, they had footage of the bear coming and stealing their food. Don't you think if a bear came into your camp and you're in a survival scenario and a bear's coming in to steal your food, you would have done something about it instead of filmed it? (laughs) That's my opinion. But anyways, they, again, were relying on that bush axe that fits within the parameters of being able to be carried easily, used one-handed if necessary, but able to still fell larger trees for larger tasks. The bush axe is kind of the intermediate uh, of all axes and kind of covers all grounds fairly well. It's a, it's definitely a jack of all trades, master of none. I wouldn't want to use it to do precision carving necessarily, and I wouldn't want to definitely tackle any big redwoods in the Western Canada area, but it'll do most tasks I need for the bush, right? Well, yeah. The other one I have in that range is the S-wing camper's axe. Oh yeah, yeah. We're talking about twenty-six inch handle, but it's almost like a hammer and an axe had a baby. <laughs> Yeah, because talk about this. Let's talk about this. Well, it's just like full metal 
with just a rubberized insulated hand. Yeah, just like the S1 hammers. Everything like that, yeah. So it's exactly that same style. The only gripes I have about it are up on the higher part of the neck is it's really hard to choke up on because it really thins out like and it's a bare steel wood and it's bare steel so in winter you don't want to oh. be holding on to that for long i i got to use one back when i was working for a summer camp up in algonquin park when i was guiding up there and they had a couple and yeah. i didn't want to necessarily use my axe and i remember i overstruck on a hardwood i'm not sure if it was oak or maple or what we had there that was so hard but when I overstruck, the vibration went right up into my shoulders, and I was numb in the arms for like almost an hour afterwards. It hurts so much to feel that vibration come up, which you wouldn't get in a wooden handle or a hollow handle from a Fisker's axe. Yeah, it's got a really great, thin, aggressive blade that's really digs deep when you chop into it. You can take out nice wedges when you're chopping mm-hmm. and felling. But at the same time, yeah, you can, like we are speaking before about it, where that rubberized handle only goes up so far. So if you've got larger hands, then it's going to be really hard to get a comfortable grip around something. Just trying to picture Andre the Giant holding one of those. That'd be absurd. That'd be a little camper's axe. (laughs) One hand, one hand (laughs) axe. And not to knock S-Wing, because those things are bomb-proof. Like, I've... I've it's challenged a lot bigger. of yeah, yeah. I've challenged a lot of people to try and break one of those things, even bend one of those things, and I haven't seen it happen yet. I'm not saying that they're unbreakable, but they're damn near close, damn near close, and that kind of falls into other handle material kind of categories, like a wooden handle. As much as I love wooden handles, they have one detriment, and that's they can break pretty easily if they're not taken care of or used within their limitations. They didn't come with the proper grain. Yeah, the grain orientation is a big one yeah. on that. I think uh, Ben Piersman and I, we were both doing axe workshops at the Bushcraft Symposium this past summer. And when I was doing my axe workshop where I actually broke an axe handle on purpose and then had to rehang it with nothing but the knife and saw that I brought with me and a crooked knife, um, Ben asked me about grain orientation where it's like, does it matter if the grain is horizontal or vertical in the handle? Honestly, yes and no. I don't think it's such a big deal. But what I worry about is grain runoff. Like, yeah. when you see those nice, curvy, Gransfer's axe handles, mm-hmm. I immediately think, is there going to be any grain runoff? Because that's where it's going to break. Yeah. That's why if you're making an axe handle for the first time, it might be best to go with a straight handle out of the wood mm-hmm. so you know you're not deviating too much grain. Because where you have deviated grain, that's where a break is going to happen because you've weakened the handle there. Well, I've walked into hardware stores where you just go through all their axe handles they have to replace. You're checking out the grain and everything. Yep. And then you get nine out of ten are twisted and going at a weird angle yeah then you get that one that's perfectly north south yep runs in straight lines doesn't really have those little patches where it's just that little extra piece of wood on the side where it's just all of a sudden gonna just knock off in that one section when you're in mid swing or hit off a stump that's a little too hard and at the same time i've seen that kind of grain runoff on some of the best made axe brands out there council mm-hmm. tool Gransfers, again vetterlings um all these different acts there's some custom axe makers like liam hoffman who hand selects every handle but that's going to come at a premium price with his premium axes that he's making himself when it comes down to store-bought handles you, you got to pick them. Like you were saying, you got to pick through them. Nine out of ten are probably going to be crud, absolute garbage. But that's the same anywhere you go. When I was down in Columbia uh, this past summer, I got to see a hardware store, and there would be bent machetes in the corner where they had bent them to test them. They just bent like noodles, and they just tossed them to the side, and then they would bend another one that wouldn't bend, where it would flex and then come back to straight, and that's the machete that they bought. Yeah. So. It goes across the board with all tools. You're gonna if you're buying store bought from a hardware store or anywhere like that, you're gonna have some lemons. You gotta be a little bit more diligent to check and make sure it's looking good. But wood is a beautiful handle and the real big benefit to me is if I break a wooden handle, it's not too big of a challenge for me to rehang it and make a new handle. Even or, just for a short-term purpose. Yeah. You're not looking for a handle that's going to last you a lifetime. Yeah. Even with the best handles, they're not going to last you a lifetime. Exactly. After extensive work. I've, I went through my grandfather's woodshed years back, and there was like a dozen axe heads with half pieces of handle sticking out, yeah. and then one or two that still had a good handle on them. And that's that's the reality. You break handles often. There's a, a guy I knew who's an old-timer. I believe it was Craig McDonald from Dwight, Ontario, but I might be mis- uh, I might be mistaken or I asked him about that axe that he had with him because I really dug it. 
And the gentleman said, you know, I've had this axe for 50 years. It's the same axe since I was almost a kid. And it's gone through three different axe handles and two different axe heads, but it's the same axe. Because yeah. he's broken eyes on them or cracked an eye on the head, split the handle, whatever you got. And he just keeps rehanging it or putting a new head on that old handle. To him, that's the same axe. Well, that's and, the problem I think a lot of us, like even all of us, run into while getting these nice tools is you're, they're almost so nice you're afraid to use them. And you end up just using them as a wall piece. Yeah. <laughs> wall like, hanger. I spent $200 on this axe, $300 on this beautiful knife, and then you don't want to use it for the intended purpose. 100%. You don't want to scratch the metal. You don't want to <laughs> split the handle on it or anything. And, like and in that in that light of talking about handles, so we've talked about steel, all steel handles mm-hmm. like the S-Wings. We've talked about the wooden handles from, let's say, Gransfers or Council Tool. Yeah, the synthetic handles from Fiskers. That's the next one I was going to ask about. You have a couple of Fiskers axes. I've got a couple of Fiskers axes. What are your experiences with the Fiskers axes? I like them. They're kind of, well, like we were talking earlier about just the vibration cuts down on that just because it's a hollow handle. There's not a lot of material for the vibration to carry through. Yeah. It gets so, muffled really quick by that air yeah. inside the handle. And it doesn't hold on to the cold. I've like taken my little tiny Fiskars X14 out in when it's minus 30, and it's got like frost and cute, cool little icicles built up on it, but it's still it's working going pretty well. It's working. Yeah. I haven't seen it fail yet. Yeah. Or, like you don't see too many. Like when you're going reading through reviews, you don't see a lot oh, damn, my handle broke again or anything like that. Yeah. And even then, I've seen, like we were talking about on the TV show Below Zero, I've seen them using that up in the Arctic Circle. Totally. So you don't have to worry too much about those things being too fragile and cracking under Mm -hmm. bad circumstances and cold. And it's kind of amusing to me when you hear people say, like, I won't trust a Fiskars, it'll break. It's like, okay, well, show me the evidence. They're like, well, in this one form, if you go down through the pages and go into their axe category and go into this one specific one, the guy broke the axe handle after a lot of abusive work. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, how many, uh, when you're sifting through all those form pages, how many times do you come across a guy having to rehang a wooden handle? Mm-hmm. Axe handles are going to break other than an S-Wing because, again, I haven't found one anywhere that's broken yet. But really, like, it's, to me, a Fiskars is almost like the Nalgene of axes. Yeah. The, the handle is tough as nails. It's, are there better axes or better bottles? For sure. sure. But for the price you're paying for, the quality is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, from everything I've heard from anybody that did break a Fiskars axe, the warranty was there. Mm-hmm. They, they got taken care of. And if you're that worried, like, personally, this is going to sound almost over the top to a lot of those folks that are, like, the hardcore carry specific one thing in their kit survival folks. I take two axes with me when I go camping a lot. I'll carry a hatchet and I'll carry a full, like, bush axe. So if I break my bush axe's handle, first off, I have a hatchet to do the rest of the work. But also, I can use that hatchet to make a new handle pretty quick. So if I break a, a, a Fisker's axe, I usually have a backup anyways yeah because that's the one downside i would see is it's really hard because unlike a wooden handled axe it's not attached up through the blade itself yeah, it goes it's around wrapped around to it's the like top. the celt it's like that old wooden socket handle i was talking about with the stone tools yeah and i think that's why they really recommend not using it in a batoning way not striking the back of the blade with anything yeah and just because that could be the weak point where you're wedging down through the handle totally, itself. Totally. So there's there's some every tool as we've said on many of our podcasts, every tool has its limitations. If you know the limitations, stay within the limitations. You can get a lot of work done. You can take a Fiskars and do. You could build an entire cabin with a Fiskars axe if you know how to use that axe. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I'm not too. I haven't brushed up too much on my knowledge of Fisker's axes and their whole fleet of what they have. I haven't seen too many that are generally aimed towards felling or anything like that, but I've seen a lot of malls, like even your big 10 yeah. mall mall that I was using as a Fisker's. It is, and it's one of the few, fi- what I was so surprised by was it was a Fisker's that had a solid handle. Yeah. It didn't have a hollow handle, and that mm-hmm. thing has not, I, I have a, very strong opinion towards fiberglass handles, as I was kind of ranting about before we did this podcast. I am not a fan 
Uh, I've used a lot of nylon fiberglass mixed handles, and they break, and when they break, it's usually pretty ugly. Someone might get a cut. Fiberglass, when it breaks and shatters, it shatters violently and with a lot of little serrated, sharp things coming out. Mm-hmm. And that's usually why they wrap them in a rubber or plastic thing, and that doesn't usually hold it. it they're, they're trying to mitigate risk, but it's still there. And also, do you know how hard it is to remove a nylon fiberglass handle from an axe head to replace it? It's not easy. I've done it. Done it's it not easy. <laughs> it's you almost have to go back to the old concept of burning the head. That's the one time. That's what we did with it. We yeah, burn the head out of the axe. Yeah. Um, on that note, though, I don't know what that Fisker splitting mall handle is, but I have not been able to crack it. I've not been able to hurt it. Yeah. And the vibration is minimum for what that is. I don't know what Fiskers did there. I want to know more about that. I'll probably have to research that after we finish this episode. Those Finns and Swedes know what they're doing. They really, like, <laughs> when, when it comes down to it, the Scandinavian folk have a lot of answers for a lot of questions we have about tools. They've they've answered those questions for generations. Whether it's a Puko knife, a Lyuku knife, or a Scandinavian forest axe, or a Fiskers axe. They, they've answered a lot of questions, and they're usually good ones to go to. Let's talk real quick before we go too far into any other category, though I think we're getting close to our conclusion of the night anyways. Yeah. When it comes down to if you're looking for an axe and you don't necessarily want to break the bank, we kind of talked about this in our Beginner's Guide to Gear, uh, one of our first podcasts we did. Look around. Shop around. If you go to yard sales, you go to flea markets, you go to uh, antique shops, you go on Kijiji or eBay or whatnot, you can find a lot of good heads out there. An easy way to check, now here's where it gets kind of hard, is a lot of old axes are old used axes. They were used hard by people that used them for a livelihood. So they're going to be chipped, they might have a dented eye. They might have a twist in the bit. You've got to take a look at these and things. An inch of rust all over. <laughs> <laughs> they might be rusted, right? I found one that looked beautiful that they had on uh, on the on the auction block and the photos online. Yeah. It was a gorgeous looking head, and then I got there and picked it up off the block, off the auction table, and the entire eye had rotted out and rusted out, and they didn't show that. That was really bad of the auctioneer to do that. That is actually like really bad ethics. Because if I just, uh, you can, on that auction, you were able to just do it online, but I want to go look at these things to make sure, again, doing my due diligence to buy, spend my money wisely, that eye was completely rusted through on the other side from rust. So be mindful of that. If you're looking at them, one thing to make thought of is how an axe is built is usually, not always, but usually it's either mild steel around the eye welded onto a high carbon steel cutting edge, or they differentially heat treat the whole head if it's made of all high carbon steel like council tool does um that means that the good steel the hard steel that's able to hold an edge is only for a few inches of that actual bit the the cutting portion of the axe so when you go and find an antique head at a yard sale or in an old timer's shed or whatnot you're going to want to take a look at that steel one way to do that is if you buy them in bulk at an auction, put them into a Rubbermaid, pour some white vinegar and some water on them and leave it overnight. And when you come back the next day, you'll see a dark gray around the cutting edge and a lighter gray around the eye. That's telling you the softer steel and the harder steel. The more dark steel you have on that cutting edge, the longer life you have in that axe before you're going to wear through it from sharpening. The less you have, the less life you have with it. Uh, if you don't have the ability to do that or you only want to buy one axe head, you don't want to go to an auction and buy a whole block of axe heads and get like 20 of them and have your significant other angry at you for what's filling up the closet, take a file with you or take a sharpening stone and just scratch that edge and see if it actually bites into the steel or it almost kind of skates across. If it kind of skates across but you can kill, still kind of bite into it, that's good steel. If it goes through like you're cutting into a piece of brick with a file or a piece of sandstone or putty, you're in mild steel or you're in soft steel. That's not any good. Be mindful that axes have been used if you're going for a used axe. So check them over and do your due diligence. Anything else you can think of, Ryan? Well, just even going back to the whole taking a look through what other people have in their shed, what grandfathers or... Just any old timer that has their shed full of old stuff. Like last year, I was at someone's place where they're going through their gear shed. Just found an axe head with a split. 
shaft just sticking out of it and it was all gunked up a little rusted over might have had still a little residual mud left on it from just sitting around so long but once they scraped it up then they noticed it was an old school veterlings oh wow so then they're like oh crap i actually got a decent half decent got half some work years, behind so it actually do. worth putting in the effort yeah to totally it worth up it and, and you have another axe that geek brought with you to this week uh you brought a mastercraft right yeah, I brought my dad's old hatchet that I've used since wherever I can remember as a little kid when we would go car camping That's or whatever. That's so cool. So it's just an old, reliable Mastercraft. It's nothing special, no Swedish steel or anything like that. Hey, but, but it's American-made. And it's lasted the 30 years I've been alive. So. Totally. <laughs> and yeah, all it took was a little steel wool, a little getting that axe head cleaned up a little bit it still needs a new edge we i've can already do that sanded quick. the handle really well so oh, yeah. and it already looks whole new, new so. whole new whole new axe so once i get the whole blade of it all sharpened up put a new edge on it and even just scrape it up with a little steel wool just to get that original metal totally. underneath showing then it's going to be a good little workhorse and even like you'd mentioned something you don't see often was the d-shaped handle yeah the handle was it's asymmetrical it's not perfectly so, oblong and it's not perfectly flat yeah so the one side is rounded and fits well on your palm but then the other side when your fingers wrapped around if it, it purchases it, better yeah it lays nice and flat so you don't feel like you're holding on to an oval or anything like that yeah. where you don't feel like you're hyperextending hold on, held on but it feels a little ergonomic compared to I, what most. I kind of want to make an axe handle like that now that yeah. I played with it. Yeah, I really a dig it. Good little project. Yeah, heck yeah. And that kind of comes down to a conclusion of the night. I think is experiment, research, as always. Play with other people's tools. Now, axes. There's a bit of an old proverb in the axe culture in the north, and that is you never lend an axe. So what that means is if somebody says, "Hey, I need to chop some wood. I need to split some firewood, or I got to do this or that." Can I borrow your axe? You say, hell no. I'll come over and cut it for you. And you can pay me for that or you can pay me for my time or do a trade, buy me dinner. Because it's a very easy way to ruin a friendship when they bring back an axe that took two seconds of misjudgment. And now you got two days of work ahead of you to fix that. Or else you'll have to be that asshole that sits there and supervises them the whole time telling us, what did I tell you to do? Don't what? do that. What? Don't what? do that. Don't do that. Treat him like a seven-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's demoralizing for everybody when that happens. So I would recommend everybody that wants to get into axe culture, get into the axe use and bushcraft, just spend the money. Go find an axe. That you Do some research. Do your due diligence as a, as a buyer, as an as a informed buyer. Study and research. Don't get too hung up on the perfect axe. Go get an axe you can afford and play with it and see what you like and don't like. Hang out with other people that use axes. Watch some videos on YouTube for crying out loud, you might as well. And learn, enjoy, experiment, and and again, try your best to get this stuff done. Learn from it as best you can. Well, there's been axes I've used where I took a glance at it. I've heard about it before, but until I got it in my hands, I didn't realize mm -hmm. what a special tool it was. So you just totally. never know what will actually be your best fit. Totally. And as always, we have a little proverb of our own to give you. Uh, your pee isn't sterile and you won't like the taste. So with that, thank you for listening. Hope to see you again down the trail. Take care.